All right, school is in session. So take your seats and turn up the volume. volume. It's time for the smartest fishing show on the internet. This is the show that dives into everything fishing from tactics and gear to policy and product. Here he is, the fishing professor, Professor Sid Dobrin. So stick around, you might learn something. Ball with the ball, the bang, the bang, diggy, 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 said the boogie, said up, drop the boogie. Ball with the ball, the bang, the bang, diggy, 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 said the boogie, said up, drop the boogie. My name is Sid Rock. Well, welcome to the Fishing Professor Rodcast. Actually, my name is Sid Dobrin, the Fishing Professor, and we have got a rocking good show for you today because we have got in the inshore, offshore digital studio, John Driscoll Hopkins, the hop, the bassist for the Zach Brown Band. That's right, we're going musical today. Hey, and in addition to a great conversation with that double bass thumping all-star, we're going to keep the music alive as I review Blackened, that great blended whiskey collaboration between master distiller and blender Dave Pickerel and Metallica, that innovative chart-topping hard rock and metal band. And after we get in tune with all of that, I'm going to count down my top 10 scent additives. Ooh, that smell. Can't you smell that smell? The smell that gets around you. Hey, as always, be sure to subscribe to the Rodcast by clicking that subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to ask, access the Rodcast. And please let all of your friends, family, and bandmates know about the Rodcast. For the time bombs ticking in the heads to hang, all the gangs getting money in the heads they bang, wild mustangs, the porno flicks, and all my homies in cell block six, the grits when there ain't enough eggs to cook, and for D.B. Cooper and the money he took. You can look for answers, but that ain't fun. Now get in the pit and try to love someone. Hey, welcome to the Red Rodcast. Let's get casting. All right, my listening crew, we have got a fantastic conversation headed your way today because in the inshore offshore digital studio, we have got the world-renowned recording artist John Driscoll Hopkins, one of the founding members of the Zach Brown Band, one of the all-time greatest country bands with 16 singles on the Billboard Hot Country Songs or Country Airplay chart, of which 13 have reached number one. Their first album, The Foundation, which is so fantastic, is certified triple platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America, and their albums You Get What You Give and Uncaged are certified platinum. The Zach Brown Band has been nominated for nine Grammys over the years and have taken home three. Now, I just referred to the Zach Brown Band as a country band, but here's the thing. That is such an understatement of the range of the band. And for those of us of the coastal persuasion, we know Zach Brown Band is, a turn is turning out some of the best beach vibe sounds, placing themselves right alongside Jimmy Buffett and Kenny Chesney as core to the American seaside, lakeside, and riverside way of life. And John Driscoll Hopkins has been there from the outset. But I got to point out that his own range of musical expertise stretches way beyond the countryside of life. This is a guy whose musical semblance is embodied in country, bluegrass, the blues, and a range of rock and roll, and his solo albums and other musical accomplishments are outstanding. In the 1990s, when Zach Brown Band was skyrocketing in popularity, 
Driscoll formed his own rock band, Brighter Shade, and released two albums. He also played with the bluegrass group Balsam Range, which released one album. And in 2019, Hopkins became a national trustee for the Recording Academy. Now, like his partner in musical crime, Zach Brown, John Driscoll Hopkins grew up on the banks of Lake Lanier in Gainesville, Georgia, the poultry capital of the world. But we're not talking turkey today because that lake water must have been as full of musical vibes as it's filled with spotted bass, striped bass, largemouth bass, and even a walleye or two, I hear. In fact, Lake Lanier really has become the premier spotted bass fishery in the country. But given the Zach Brown Band aquatic vibe, we can't discount Lanier's musical influence either. And because life is good today, we're going to talk about fishing and music with one of the upper echelon of American music, Mr. John Driscoll Hopkins, the hop. You, I almost want to do that Kermit the Frog, wave your hands in the air, excited Muppet show intro kind of thing. But hey, John Driscoll Hopkins, hop if I may, thank you so much for being on the Rodcast. Um, I'm I'm very excited to be here, and thank you for having me. I love the Kermit the Frog flailing arms. I think it's perfect. That's excellent. And we got to incorporate the uh, the old men whenever we do something we don't like. Absolutely, the old hecklers. Yeah, absolutely. Got to heckle. All right, so let's start where we usually start on the show with some origin story stuff. And let me ask you about your early days in Georgia and how fishing and water and the outdoors was part of your childhood. Well, we uh, grew up right next to Lake Lanier, and in the uh, mid-80s, my dad uh, bought a used Galaxy ski boat with a 165 Mercruiser on the back, and when I was working in the stockroom at Belk the summer of my 16th year, um, every day that I was able, I would take the boat out and ski. Um, as a, as a fisherman, I'm a really good singer, but, um, I used to be a pretty damn good wakeboarder and, um, knee boards seemed to have just come out then they were, we, we had a hydra slide and I just have always been, uh, very water centric. I'm a, I'm a competitive swimmer or, well, I'm not anymore, but I used to be a competitive swimmer, um, with pretty fast times in the 50 and the 100 freestyle. And, and uh, so the, the lake and the, the ocean and the pool and all things water have always been a really big part of my life. I used to fish a little bit with uh, my friends just in the ponds and a little bit in Lanier and we'd pull up some uh, crappy or some uh, catfish or some carp once in a while. But it was it was more uh, for us to uh, hang out and enjoy uh, the outdoors than it was to go after big trophy fish. But um, I do appreciate the art and uh, just I'm just not uh, very good at it. Man, you mentioned the Hydra slide. You remember that yellow, that original yellow Hydra slide? That's the one. Yeah, that's the one I had. Yeah, I used to love doing that. We we have very similar backgrounds in that. I was also a swimmer and spent a lot of time hydrosliding. So uh, I love that. The knee pad was like half an inch thick. It was yeah. it was terrible. And then they improved it with the hydroslide two, and the knee pad came out stronger. And 
those were a lot. I mean, those are the precursors to a lot of the waveboarding, uh, wakeboarding stuff that's going on now. Yeah, my my uh, we we spent a lot of time on the lake doing a lot of hydro sliding, a lot of wakeboarding, just great fun. So let me expand that just a little bit. So that's your childhood. You've also got daughters. And there's been a lot of talk in recent years about encouraging young women to take up those kinds of outdoors activities. How has being around the lake and your influence as a kid around water, how has that affected how you and your family, your daughters, your wife have approached teaching your daughters about the outdoors? Well, on Sunday, we're going to raft the Chattahoochee. We, we live uh, with the Chattahoochee right in our backyard. I wish we had frontage, but it, we can see it from the house. And um, so we're going to, we've done that every year. Uh, we, uh, the girls love to get out on kayaks on the lake. Um, we were just up at a friend's house in Blue Ridge and they kayaked the entire time. Um, we're very familiar with all of the um, Ritz Carlton slash Reynolds Plantation uh, Lake Oconee area, and um, and we always get in the the lake over there. Um, I think my girls are really strong swimmers, and they love water sports. They're not competitive swimmers, maybe the way you and I were. Um, but they have been on some summer leagues. They're into some other things too. And, um, so, but, but they love the water and, and that's generally, uh, a big part of whatever we're, we're planning. If we're going to go do a weekend somewhere, it's generally with water included. Man, the Chattahoochee in July, it's, it's, that's right at the song, right? Way down upon the Chattahoochee. Right. It's hotter than a hoochie coochie. I mean, it's going to be cooking out there, man. <laughs> yeah. It, well, the, the river stays pretty cold because it comes right out of uh, the bottom of Lanier. Um, so the Buford Dam, you know, lets out the, the coldest of that. Uh, and then it runs down to Morgan Falls where, where uh, my neighborhood is. And then... Um, so we've got a pretty good stretch of that that's really calm. And then there's one or two little spots where they're not rapids, but they're bumps. And, you know, when the when the girls were small, we were like, you know, here they come. Oh, my God. You know, like freaking out. And they were they they would get really excited about it. But they're just gentle little little rock uh, rapids. They're not rapids at all. Uh, it sounds so much fun. Yeah. All right, so let's let's talk music since that's that's really what we got to talk about. We want to talk about some Zach Brown band stuff and also your solo stuff. Now, clearly, part of the ambiance of the Zach Brown band's ethos is that waterside vibe, that toes in the sand, drink in the hand kind of vibe. If we're quoting Van Halen, or if we want to stick to the Zach Brown band quote, that infamous line, "I got my toes in the water, my ass in the sand," a vibe I might add that is so magnificently depicted in the opening scene of the music video for Toes, a piece that you co-wrote with Zach Brown, Wyatt Durrett, and Sean Mullins, and of course the legend of Floody Boatwood. How did that watery tactility emerge as a kind of theme or personality over the years with Zach Brown Band? Well, Zach grew up in Dahlonega. It's 20 minutes from where I grew up in Gainesville, and we were both very close to uh, Lake Lanier. Uh, he, at one point, he lived, uh, his family lived in Cumming, which was uh, on Lake Lanier. 
And, um, and I think we, that, you know, everybody in North Georgia has a choice really of several different lakes. And, and that one in the Northeast corner was ours. And I, it's just a part of our lives, you know, sitting in lawn chairs, um, beer or no beer, just watching the sunset, being with family, having a picnic, being able to go out on a boat if you're so lucky to have that opportunity. Um, but even if you're not, the, the national parks, for, for several years in a row, my family has gone up to Laurel Park just to watch the fireworks. And uh, it's a massive uh, group of humanity there to enjoy the water together and, uh, you know, celebrate the 4th. So it, it's, a part of, it's a part of our community. And um, we're very fortunate to have such a popular, wonderful lake up there. And uh, I think that's how it gets so easily infiltrated into the music is that we write about what we know. And uh, while Toes is a, a fun-loving tune, um, it, it, it applies to uh, all sorts of people all over the world, you know, and it's more specifically about beach with ass in the sand but there there are some uh freshwater beaches around lanier as well so it really applies to wherever you've got an embankment to to go be with friends bikinis and palm trees man that's a rhyme that jimmy yeah. must have been swooning over is that your couplet or one of the other writers i i'm responsible for uh a lot of the arrangement and for the uh toes in the clay at the end there I said, we got to bring it back home. We got to get to the lake because we spent all our money and this is where we're going to be now. So, oh, that's excellent. All right. So, let me let's talk about that atmosphere that you just described that Zach Brown band water vibe. And let me ask you, what is it about that feeling that has become such a huge part of Americana and Americana music? That is, why do we get so happy and relaxed when music gets us wanting to be in the sun and the sand and the clay? I think it's just vacation time. I think it's a time when you you know that you can put aside um, the the stress of everyday life and just go enjoy, whether you're by yourself or with friends or family. Something about being out on the water means we're not working right now. We're not we're not worried right now, and um, and there's a real peace to that. And not only that, but just the sound of water. You know the the, it, the the lapping of the the waves against a boat dock or the crashing of the waves in uh, the ocean. I mean, both are totally cathartic uh, moments in in our lives. And I think um, you know when you have music that goes along with that, that reminds you of that, knee deep in the water, jump right in. Um, I want to be a castaway. You know. I'm, it's this wonderful opportunity to live in this fantasy world that uh, that just brings us joy. I think I like that that comparison of the the sound of the water to the lyrical sound of the music too. I mean, there is that sense in a lot of the a lot of your songs that fluidity to the tune as well. Yeah, and that's a goal. You know, that's no mistake. We're trying to to make it feel that way. And and those of us who who grew up listening to to reggae at the beach and Buffett at the beach and, and things like that, we 
we're borrowing from all of those things and it's and it really uh putting our own spin on it it really hope we hope to add to those traditional um songs that that have uh shaped the way that people enjoy the water all right so with that in mind talk to me about how important the release of same boat was at the time it came out in june of 21. that might be the most poignant one because it really uh it, it was a way and i'm i i didn't write that one but i'm very proud of it and uh I, th I think Zach really nailed it with uh, the opportunity to say uh, we're all in this world together as one people and and then to also have an opportunity to to add to our water collection, you know, and that's another uh, wonderful tie in to humanity because everybody, all walks of life, love some form of water in their life and uh and we can all relate to that so no matter uh what your background or your musical tastes if uh if you're on the water and you hear same boat and you're paying attention to the lyrics then hopefully you get a sense of yeah we're in this together you know this is one world one humanity and um and we're all trying to trying to make our way all right, so in that song, the lines, we're all in the same boat, fishing in the same holes, really stands out, not just as a metaphoric commentary, like you're talking about on the situation in which we found ourselves during the pandemic, but that metaphor relied on a kind of common understanding of what it means to fish in the same hole. So since the Rodcast does have a focus on fishing and water culture, let me ask you, why is it that music, country music and bluegrass in particular, find so much rich material in fishing I, I think it's readily available and i think that that as far as like you know it's a sport that everyone can get into you can just get a a, a stick and a rope and fish you know i mean even if you don't don't have means if you save up for a nice rod you're you're good you're golden you don't have to have the the big boat or the the beach house or even the dock you can just go anywhere um with a license i guess <laughs> and uh, and uh and anyone can be a part of it and the few fishing opportunities that i've had from my childhood the best the best ones were those when my friend would say let's go fishing and i would say okay i think my dad's got a rod and i would go get it and we would go and get worms and um, and he, you know, he and I would work on, uh, the, the, the casting and the bait and, and there was nothing fancy about it. This wasn't a deep sea trip. This was just walking around the perimeter of the, the lake or the pond and, and enjoying friendship. Um, and I think that is part of why it's so, uh, popular is because it's so accessible anyone can jump in there and fish. I love that answer. And, you know, given the role that fishing has played, not just in American music, but globally in all kinds of music, ranging from sea shanties to place-based music all over the world, I want to ask you about some specific fishing songs and get your take on them. So we're going to take a moment and we're going to play a speed round. I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you the name of about 10 artists and songs 
And after each one, I want you to hear, I want to hear your thoughts, a kind of mini review. And of course, if you have juicy gossip about any of the artists, I'll take that too. It'll boost my ratings. All right. But, and of course, there are so many more songs that I could throw at you as fishing is such a core trope and metaphor in country and Americana music and to an extent rock. But for the sake of time, I'm going to keep this to about 10. And these are all pretty well-known songs. But if I name a song which you aren't familiar with, just take a pass. We'll let it slide. We'll chalk it up to the fact that you went to FSU, so there are inevitably gaps in your education. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you ready? The John Driscoll Hopkins Fishing Song Speed Round. Number one, the nitty-gritty dirt bands Fishing in the Dark. Oh, yeah. That's the perfect response. You don't even need to say anything are else. You gonna, are you going to play the song? No, I, I can't do that because of copyright. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You and me going fishing in the dark. Yeah, I mean, what a great melody. And and the, the pulse of that song is boom, 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 boom. It's almost reggae in the country world. And um, it's, it's, it's all about falling in love, you know. Uh, it's not about fishing, obviously. <laughs> They're in the dark. Uh, but uh, it... It, lyrically, it might even be an excuse to get uh, to get your girl out there in in, uh, in the uh, the lake area. Uh, feels so good to be with you. You know, I love that song. Yeah, fantastic song. All right, number two, Brad Paisley's "I'm Gonna Miss Her," the fishing song. I I'm vaguely familiar with this song, and more familiar with more of uh, Brad's work. Um, but I remember the premise being, she wanted me to give up fishing, so I'm going to miss her. Right. And he's a funny guy. I mean, he's, he's written all kinds of, uh, clever, uh, wonderful anecdotes that, uh, I think are brilliant, you know, and this is, this is another one. I mean, fishing was more important than she. All right. So number three, I'm, I'm going to, I'm making an assumption about your musical past so how about Woody Guthrie's Talking Fishing Blues? Don't know it. All right, we'll pass on that. How about Justin Moore's Beta Hook? Vaguely. That's the one where the girl's dating the rich and fancy guy, and he keeps coming back to the refrain, I bet he doesn't even know how to bait a hook. Yeah, okay, there you go. Someone's baiting his hooks for him. Right. All right, how about Trace Atkins' Just Fishing or Mind on Fishing or anything Trace Atkins? Um, I like Trace Atkins. I don't know the, his fishing material. I think Trace has one of the most amazing voices in country music. And, uh, and uh, we actually got the chance to play with him. We opened for him in North Carolina uh, early on, on an Alan Jackson tour. So it was us and then Trace and then Alan. And um, amazing talent. Uh, that's maybe. a lineup for a show. I'd love to see that. that was it was fantastic. cool. And it could have been South Carolina. It might have been Greenville. But it was it was very early on. It was probably 2006, something like that. You know, Maddie and Tay's Shut Up and Fish? No. <laughs> uh, beautiful song. All right. Luke Bryan's Bill Dance song. What's it called? Bill, it's, well, it's called the Bill Dance song by Luke Bryan. It's a tribute to how he learned to fish from Bill Dance on TV. No, I don't know that one either. Right. Sorry, I'm, I'm no, sorry. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. I'm going to, all right, so three more. And these are three of my all-time favorites. So I'm hoping we're on the same page. And I'm uh, I'm going to get heartbroken when you tell me you don't know these songs. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right, what about John Prine's Fish and Whistle? No. Nope. 
Now we're gonna we're gonna have to rethink your education, man. Oh, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need <laughs> this entire list, and I promise I will listen to it. As how, about soon. Taj, how about Taj Mahal's iconic fishing blues? Yeah. Bet you going fishing all of the time, baby. Going fishing too. Nope. All right. How about Robert Earl Keen's five pound bass? No. Nope. All right, man. We'll 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 pass on that. Because Other, otherwise, I'm going to go to Leonard Skinner's Gone Fishing, but we'll uh, we'll we'll keep Skinner out of it from now. You know, I was tempted also to ask you because you're a bassist um, about your thoughts on Les Claypool's Fisherman's Chronicles on the Primus albums, but that would take us down a bass and bass kind of path, and I would have to end up boasting about my oldest boy who begins study at the bass studio in the College of Music at the University of Colorado in the Boulder in Boulder this fall. So we'll leave that open for other conversations, but we are bass well, fans. Very of exciting. Yeah. I mean, he is a fantastic musician and a phenomenal composer, but let's go back to you and your music then for a minute. All right. So back in 2019, you and four other guys formed a heavier rock band that you called the Heavy Wolves of Venice. And you released a five-song EP, the Revelation EP, which was featured in the 2018 film Adolescence. And that's a movie that you also had a role in as Spider. And man, Tommy Flanagan in that movie singing Lou Reed. I loved that guy before, but hell, starting to belt out Lou Reed and I'm sold. And Ken Hudson Campbell, Max from Armageddon. Just wow, fantastic movie. I love that movie. And it's got a fishing connection too because there's a very brief discussion of the old man in the sea in that. But before I geek out on my love of film and start preaching about Mickey River and India Isley in that film, talk to me about your shift from country, blues, bluegrass, Americana to that heavier rock that you were that was on that EP. And even that song you and the band rip out in that movie. We, um, you know, I, <laughs> that's where I started. You know, I started in, uh, when I was at Florida State, I was in a, a, a cover band that became a pretty heavy alternative band. And um, we were big fans of uh, Soundgarden and Metallica and Pearl Jam and, and these Nirvana, these these bands that were, uh, you know, making massive waves in the scene back then, and and that was from listening to things like Guns and Roses and Queensrÿche, and I mean these really aggressive heavy bands. And I'm still a big fan of hard rock, of of uh, aggressive uh, songwriting and aggressive rock and roll, and. Brighter Shade had a lot of that. So my two albums that I did before I got in Zach Brown band, um, if you if you go back and check out a few tracks like uh, <clears throat> Breakdown or uh, I'm Your Only Option, they're just really aggressive tunes. And um, and I love that. I love the opportunity to 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 scream at the world when I'm frustrated and uh, I haven't been able to do that in that way for a long time until the Bloody Wolves of Venice uh, showed up. And I'm actually talking to uh, the guys about doing another Bloody Wolves of Venice EP um, that's directed at uh, ALS, actually. And, um, and, you know, the anger and the frustration of all of that seems to to lend itself to 
um, screaming at the world. And uh, so it's always been a part of, of my writing. Uh, and I've, I've just never had a consistent uh, vehicle with which to put it out there. But the Bloody Wolves have, uh, have emerged as a, a group that's happy to get together and collaborate and make make uh, big rock sounds and big noise and, and really throw down some aggression. So I think that's cathartic as well. I think that it, it helps me deal with uh, stress and, um, you know, I've got a lot of uh, singer songwriter stuff that where I can talk about uh, family and, and the upside and, and but, but that's not a, a full picture of the life experience. You know, we've got some other things that, that probably need to be expressed. And um, I'm not a political guy, but I, I know that there are so many things wrong with our world. And um, I'm trying to remember the name of the song. Um, it's a Bloody Wolves track where I'm I'm just ranting about all the things that are wrong with uh, with uh, our our perception of each other and and uh, and what I would do if I were uh, the man upstairs, the man in charge, and uh, <laughs> the the decision is to just wipe it out and start over. It's kind of an aggressive thought process, and of course, it's fantasy. But um, but I have these moments, and I. And I owe it to myself to put them to music and to, to share them um, just in case they help someone else deal with with uh, emotional distress or uh, maybe, it, you know, maybe getting these thoughts out will brighten my day or someone else's day. So, yeah, and it's interesting how much of a resurgence that kind of music is making, you know, particularly those 80s bands. You know, this summer I've already I went to Welcome to Rockville. Um, we had Dale Stewart from Seether on this on this show, uh, right. the bassist from Seether. Um, and, you know, four days of, of all those bands you just mentioned. And then I got to go to the stadium tour to see Motley Crue, Def Leppard, uh, Joan Jett, you know. So there is that sense of we want to be able to scream a lot right now, particularly after these last couple of years in everything that's been going on. So I, I, I really get and dig what you're saying about having that kind of sound to help guide us through that kind of anger. All right. So I want to get a fishing professor Rodcast exclusive, and okay. I want to see if I can get you to sing for me that fantastic spider, that song that spider sings in adolescence, sitting at the party, a song I believe that can only be called babe. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we were, we were sitting there and uh, Ashley uh, Avis was, sort of directing a, a a new family moment here as we were all getting to know each other uh, in the cast and she was like john just play and you know sing whatever comes to your <laughs> to your head and i'm just kind of chopping around and i'm like baby and uh and you know and and it became this moment um and the, the other guys in the cast started jumping in and enjoying it and uh 
And when I took it home, I, you know, after the shoot, I thought, I just need to take that and make that a chorus. And, uh, and, uh, I actually wrote the rest of it based on the script. So that I never thought that I could love another person like I love you, but you've shown me how my heart works. I can't let you go, baby, baby. You know, like that was this, uh, the two main characters, you know, uh, trying to figure out how they uh, were falling in love. And uh, you might be crazy or it might be me, but I don't ever want to let you down or take love from you. I just thought you'd want to know, baby, baby, you know. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how that became a song. And it's my favorite one on that EP. It's a lot of fun. And it just feels good to to hit those chords, you know. So, well, it's that great moment where, in you know, in that familial moment where you're, you know, the only you, you hit the chords, you you'd hit you baby, and everybody's looking at you, and you just kind of pause and go, "It's a work in progress." Yeah. <laughs> it was just a fantastic moment. Yeah, Ashley's really good at getting those honest moments and. Um, and letting things like that happen and then using them. She's actually uh, the director of Disney's latest Black Beauty and um, and is in charge of my documentary that I'm doing. So we've we've stayed connected over the years and she's jumping right in here with me uh, to uh, to document my journey. So we're going to come back to that. But you've appeared in a couple of other movies, and you're, you've got a new movie coming out, Breakwater, in which you play a sea captain. And I know that you majored in general theater while you were at FSU. Um, so I assume acting's been part of the overall artistic performance mindset you've had for a while. So are movies something you like doing? I tell people that I've been acting like a musician for a long time. Um, I think that that my take on showmanship is probably what has led to a lot of my success with my uh, friends and with the audience. You know, I, I really love to ham it up. And, um, and that's a big part of, of being on stage as an actor. Um, I've done a few movies, but growing up throughout high school and into college, I was on a lot of uh, stages for plays and um strangely enough when zach needed a bass player in 2005 i was cast in a in a play called lost highway which was about the life of hank williams senior and i had lines and we sang 23 hank williams songs and i played the upright bass so i was cast as the bass player in hank's band and I told Zach when he said, you know, keep your eye out. I need a bass player. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll come out there and hang out. You know, he was playing all the same bars I was playing. Uh, nobody was famous yet. Um, and I said, I'd love to come play with you. And, uh, and I've been playing a lot of bass recently. Uh, and so that theater performance prepped me for a lot of this upright bass playing that uh transitioned into me joining zach brown band so theater 
has always been hand in hand with what I do. Um, the Breakwater movie, this is, uh, this is actually uh, another film that uh, has a lot of the same folks that are involved in the adolescence movie. Ed Winters is uh, Ashley's husband and he's producing this movie. And, and um, you know, I've, I've found a real good family with them. And uh, I, I tell them all the time because my schedule is so crazy. I tell them, okay, kill me in a bar. Just <laughs> give me like two lines where I'm like, you son of and like just, you know, I've got the gun and I'm, I'm firing off into the, to the mob and then somebody blows me away. So it takes like, you know, two days out of my life and I get to be in the movie. Just kill me in a bar, you know, <laughs> however way you, however, which way you want. Um, that's, that's kind of the, the most that I can, I can put towards uh, film and uh, acting right now is, is cameos and little moments. Otherwise I'm trying to do music videos, which often turn into uh, little movies as well. So. Well, that's an interesting point because what you're saying makes me think about the importance of music videos and what you've accomplished with Zach Brown band and as a solo artist, because clearly the videos for toes, knee deep, chicken fried, and so many of the other hits had an impact on how audience connects with those songs as both a musician as an, and as an actor how do you think about that relationship between the musical and the visual? It's a visual world that we live in. And, you know, even if you, even if you've got a song out and you just walk around a field and sing it to a camera and that's your whole video, people are more inclined to listen if they're seeing something. And, um, it's a, it plays a big part in, in the way music is presented. It's so important for you to have a, a certain look, you know, when I'm really trying to, to stick the aggressive, uh, songs out there, I, I always shave out the, the middle of my beard and try to look, look different and, um, you know, m maybe more recognizable. I've got lots of amazing hats that I wear. That's it's all visual. You know, I tell people the more hair I lose, the more hats I buy. So it's like I, I, I can't I can't be Greg Allman with the, the long blonde hair. But um, but but I can present something that's interesting visually. And I think that people are prone to listen more when they're visually entertained. So given that. Talk to me about the incredible visual aesthetic of the video for your ballad, I Hate to See Good Whiskey Go to Waste, which is the fourth track on your most recent solo album, Lonesome High, because that's a beautiful video. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, Chuck and Andrew really came around with uh, helping helping me put that song uh, to life. And it was uh, a tune that I wrote with uh, Jerry Sally, um, who's a dear friend and um he's he's in the bluegrass world and uh we we started the story in my studio and then just took it into a local bar nearby in roswell and uh we were able to to secure the bar for uh, you know the the morning into the afternoon before they opened but it was still during COVID, so 
we, you know, we had to all have tests and masks and, um, the, uh, the lead actor in that is, uh, Rob Lawhorn, who is, uh, a, one of my best friends from college. And he is, uh, you'll see him on lots of commercials and he, he was in that lost highway play with me. He's, he's all over the Atlanta acting scene. And then Katie Tebow, if you're a, uh, if you're a Gator fan, um, you know, the Tebow family. And, oh yeah. And Katie is a, uh, a beautiful person, a beautiful woman and a mom of, of three, uh, that is still out there, uh, rocking, uh, some great acting and, uh, modeling gigs. So this might've been one of her, uh, she, you know, she's, she's got more modeling in, in her repertoire, but I think she did a, an amazing job. And, uh, Alex Guthrie of, uh, the voice fame is in the bar with the girls at the, when they're all partying in the second verse. And, um, I had lots of friends come together and, and make that happen. And, uh, I just think it looks amazing. And it really, you know, to the, to the previous point, it really makes you listen and makes you understand what the song's about. Yeah, I absolutely love that song. Love the video. I love the whole album. And I love how the album title, Lonesome High, echoes that great 1950 John Drew Barrymore Western, High Lonesome. Yeah. Yeah. But what I like most about this album is how the songs like I Hate to See Good Whiskey Go to Waste and 8-Track and Daddy's Cadillac, they really remind us stylistically of your Zac Brown band roots. But then songs like Missing You All the Time, which is a tribute to your wife and your daughters, and then that fantastic bluesy Rebel Rebel, they don't let us forget about your individual talent beyond Zac Brown Band. And that's a that fantastic collaboration. Oh, with Emily Salyers of the Indigo, Indigo Girls on that opening track, Good Morning Believers. Man, the vocals on that are just magnificent. Could you talk a little bit more about Lonesome High and what you really accomplished with that album? Well, it is, it's interesting that you talked about High Lonesome because it's very common for bluegrassers to talk about that High Lonesome sound. And, um, and that's where I was hearing it most. And uh, I think that that is something to quickly describe bluegrass to people who don't know bluegrass. And that, that whining sort of wailing yodel and um a lot of treble in the instruments and then a lot of songs about heartbreak and um and so i i liked the idea of flipping that to lonesome high and to me in my life lonesome high is um today i'm in asbury park i'm about to go play a really cool show for a lot of really cool people and my girls are at home so I've got this high, I've got this great opportunity and this great professional life, and I don't get to share it with them as often as I would like. So uh, it's very similar in theme to missing you all, all the time, but it's, uh, it's a different take on it. And then uh, that title track, uh, Coy just did a, an amazing job on the, the slide guitar. Um, the, the features on that, I mean, you may not know how in love I am with the Indigo Girls, but I, they're, they're one of the reasons that I write music. And uh, both Amy and Emily have become friends 
And um, I cherish that. I mean, it, it's really a moment where I think, my God, I've, I've, I really have made it. I know the Indigo Girls, you know? And to me, that's a, just a really personal connection. And um, Emily was uh, a part of the writing on Good Morning Believers. And um, I'm still looking to do something like that with Amy. I'm just uh, trying to figure out what, to, what, we can, what we can put together. But um, my largest contribution to Zach Brown Band is the harmony and the stacks and the, um, uh, the vocals, uh, a lyric here or two. I've got, we've got lots of great lyricists in this band, but, but Emily's, you know, to me, the pinnacle, like she, she and Amy are the, the, the gods of, of folk and of, of singer songwriter and of acoustic music and of harmony. And, um, just a just an honor to have her uh on this track uh they were on my christmas record together as indigo girls in the uh in the spirit and uh they they sang do you hear what i hear which is not about music so much but i loved that 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 title was the was their song because i i think i do hear what they hear and um, so it was a bit of a flip there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that song is actually uh, going to be until we come up with something that might be a little more uh, on the nose. That's going to be the uh, unofficial or official uh, theme song for my 501c3. So. Uh, okay, I'll be paying attention to that. You know, as soon as you mentioned that about bluegrass and Lonesome High and all that, you know, it immediately brings back because I now I'm I'm placing that term, you know, with um, Earl Scruggs and Bill Monroe and Ralph Stanley. You know, those totally. Yeah, they were all that Lonesome High sound, or you know, Lester Flat, or you know, the, all the all those guys. So yeah. And you know, I had mentioned Robert O'Keen earlier, and he uses that phrase when talking about Bill Monroe. And yeah, so yeah, great stuff, great stuff. Hey, you know, on the Rodcast, we've got a segment I do each week called the Bourbon Break, in which I review bourbons for anglers. And clearly, not just I hate to see good whiskey go to waste or whiskey's gone, but also given a little inside knowledge I have. I know that you're a whiskey fan. So like we discussed about fishing and music, talk to me about why whiskey is so such a prevalent trope. I mean, you set the video in a bar and it's a beautiful bar and they're allowed. I kept pausing the video to look at what whiskeys were on the shelf back there. Yeah, um, they had but, a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a pretty impressive collection. Um, tell me why whiskey is so such a prevalent trope in American music. I mean, whiskey and fishing are right there alongside mom and apple pie. And now that I've said that, man, I would am craving a good old bourbon apple pie, but never an apple pie flavored bourbon. So That's what's right. the whiskey, what's the whiskey music connection? Uh, well, I'm, I'm a big fan of Kentucky bourbon and, um, and have been for many years, I think I, I started drinking, uh, you know, in college, the, the Jim Beam and Coke, that kind of thing. And then in my twenties, I just got rid of the Coke. I started adding water instead. Um, and as an, as an adult where I, I really need to be, uh, more aware of, 
of uh, my intake. Um, it's it's great. Uh, it's a great way to measure, you know, um, your evening. It's like uh, sometimes a a beer or your glass of wine. You you might misjudge uh, how how much that is based on the pour, but it's pretty easy to to know what two ounces is going to be like. And uh, and so you know, I that's not that's not you know in any way saying that drinking whiskey is more responsible than something else, but I think it's because it's for those of us with uh, a those of us with the palate for something that's strong like that have uh have decidedly uh been able to to add it to fishing trips and and uh boating events and you can just bring a little flask and you don't have to bring a cooler you know i mean it's it's convenient and um and i think it tastes good you don't get the carbonation um you know i I've got I've I've got a lot of reasons why I choose it over uh, other alcohols, but um, but it's mainly because I'm just a fan of of uh, the oak and and the way it the way it tastes. So what are you, what are your favorites these days? My go to because uh, it's it's always available and it's always amazing is Woodford Reserve. Um, some of the ones that I that I can't always find in the the bar or the restaurant uh like uh angel's envy is another big favorite of mine shows up in adolescence in every drinking scene oh yeah that's no mistake yeah oh i know it was product placement i caught that (laughs) yeah i've got i've got friends uh, at angel's envy and um and i've got friends at uh pappy van winkle and um and those are really hard to come by and very expensive but that's because they're the absolute best that their their 20 year is uh, by far uh, the most amazing bourbon that I've ever enjoyed. Um, But I think, you know, there are so many out there. I think people have borrowed from uh, Woodford and from Pappy and they're starting to uh, to learn how to to age and and treat uh, whiskey to uh, to make it uh, wonderful. There's a lot of great uh, bourbon out there. And uh, the more the merrier. It used to be that that, uh, that it was only allowed to be from Kentucky. And um, now there are bourbons all over the, the country and the world that uh, they're following all the, the right steps and they're making great product. So it's a brand new bourbon world. Absolutely. And you mentioned what's Woodford. your favorite? Uh, like you, I'm a big fan of Woodford. Um, I've been drinking a lot of Walcott lately. Um, I will always be a fan of George Stagg, of Blanton's, of the Van Winkle, like you talk about. Um, I've been lately very interested in the bourbons that uh, musicians are working with, like the Bob Dylan Heaven's Door, Metallica's Black End. Um, you know, that relationship between musicians and, and whiskey intrigues me. But um, you know, every week we try to do a different bourbon review here. And so I've been, I mean, the research has been really important. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've had the blackened and it, it was very good. And I also, when I, whenever I run across a bottle of Weller, 
Um, I think I think that's uh, an old name that that people are borrowing from as well. But and, yeah, and old road. I mean, and Four Roses, which is really yep. one of the few pre-Civil War distilled bourbons that we still have around. And so, right. and I know you like Bullet um, because yeah. uh, I, I heard from my inside source, but. Uh, Let's put bourbon aside. I want to ask you one more music question before we get into our wrap-up stuff. And if I remember correctly, and this is a purely selfish question, back in 2013, Dave Grawl announced that he had produced an EP for Zach Brown Band. What's it like working with Grawl? He's the coolest guy in music, period. He is. And um, the best compliment that Zach ever gave me was... He reminds me of all the dudes in your crew, like all the guys that I run with um, are like Dave Grohl, you know, uh, down to earth, fun loving, talented, big hearts, big sense of humor, uh, energetic. I mean, just just a joy to be around. And, um, you know, it. He, he showed up to that session without ever hearing anything by Zach Brown. Uh, I, you know, how do you, how do you manage that? If you go to a beach or you go to Walmart or you go to, you know, he's heard some stuff, but he didn't sit down and study it. He wanted to come in there fresh and, um, that that first session was on a day when uh there was a shooting at alx in the the tsa there was a shooting and so they shut the airport down and his flight was delayed so he just got in his car and went to burbank and he was supposed to get there at like two or three and he showed up at 10. and uh, we were all you know in position sitting there waiting for him to show up um we had already rehearsed these songs and uh and he, he runs into the control room you know six hours later than he was supposed to be and he's like he hits the button he's like hey dudes let's rock and then we're like okay so and we just started playing and we got to know him a little bit over the next three hours and uh we had a song down that we really liked and it was so it was like one o'clock and he goes hey dudes let's drink (laughs) so we got to got to hang out with him and um and just chew the fat which was incredible you know he's just such a sweet guy yeah i'm i'm a big fan i was really looking forward to seeing foo fighters this summer and then of course with the passing of taylor hawkins uh you know those shows got got put on hold so Hop, this has been so much fun and as much fun as I would have just sitting here all day talking music, movies, fishing, and of course, not wasting good whiskey. I think before we get to the wrap-up questions, we need to get serious for a bit because you recently made a public announcement to your fans that you've been diagnosed with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And since that announcement, you've become one of the most active and vocal advocates for supporting ALS research. Could you talk about how that diagnosis has impacted your life and tell us about the foundation that you and your Zach Brown bandmates have established hop on a cure? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm the newbie. I'm the new guy in this fight. And, uh, before I was diagnosed, 
I went down the path of what's what's wrong with me? Why am why is my balance off and why is my speech slurring a bit? Um, you know, as a singer, that's one of the main things that I noticed. I'm, I should be rattling off uh, lyrics and, and speech with ease. And it's, uh, it's been increasingly, increasing, increasingly difficult. <clears throat> so I think I started uh, noticing some symptoms in 2019 with my right hand not moving as quickly as I I think it should on the guitar and it has progressed very slowly since then. That's the good news. Slow progression is, is uh, preferred. Um, <clears throat> what we're trying to do is we're trying to raise awareness. I've, I've told many people uh, that I have ALS and they kind of look at me blankly and say, Oh man, that's, that's tough and they don't know what it is. Um, in the 501c3 that we have, uh, that we have established, what we're, what we're trying to do is uh, generate awareness and let people know that ALS is a motor neuron disease that eventually leaves you with no control over your muscles. And that's, that's arms, legs, mouth, throat, lungs, swallowing, breathing. So life expectancy is three to five years. And my progression being very slow, um, I'm, I could possibly have already been three years. And, um, and I am still on tour. I'm still walking and talking and singing and playing. Um, we are hopeful that we can continue to meet, uh, natural physicians, naturopathic physicians, uh, along with the, the incredible doctors that we're seeing at, uh, Mass General and at Emory. And, uh, we're speaking to, uh, everybody who has, uh, of, of an ALS clinic that's doing and, uh, good work and we're trying to find ways to slow and stop the degradation of motor neurons and um, and eventually reverse that um, you know I'm not a scientist I'm not someone that's going to be in there with the test tubes uh, making all the, of these incredible discoveries but but hopefully I can provide some funding to add more brilliant minds and more people to the teams uh, to uh, make these discoveries and, and get the, these drugs out there. There's a bunch of new drugs out there that, um, that we are not allowed to use yet because we haven't been set up for clinical trials. So we're learning so much. And this is, you know, I was diagnosed uh, right before Christmas last year. So, um, we're, we're seven months in and we, you know, we are doing the best that we can to, uh, raise money and, and find the, the organizations that are, that are doing the best work to, to find a cure.
Well, of course, there's no way for me to follow up on that. And from what I've garnered in our conversation today and what I've learned about you watching you speak about ALS in the media recently, you know, my guess is you're not the kind of guy who's seeking empathy, but action and a path to a solution rather than pity from your audience. So I want to encourage all those in the listening crew to help support Hop on a Cure. And I guess I got to say, Hop, that makes it really tough for me to ask my final question, my usual wrap up question. Um, but maybe what you've just said about ALS and Hop on a Cure, uh, the foundation that you've created, makes this final question kind of even more pertinent in that on the broadcast, we're always talking about fishing and music and film and uh, you know whiskey. And I always ask at the end of the broadcast, what's the grail fish? What's the bucket list fish out there you still want to get? But I assume that under the specter of ALS, it can be hard to think about a frivolity of catching a fish when the mindset necessarily has to be focused on the day-to-day struggle against ALS. But maybe it's specifically those kinds of moments, like having your ass in the sand and a rod in your hand, that makes that fight worth fighting, makes the living worth living. So if it's not too insensitive to ask, what's the John Driscoll Hopkins grail fish, and I, that can be metaphoric, or to be optimistic, what are the next 30 or 40 years of grail fish for you? Um, you know, there are a lot of people that think that, that ALS can be livable by 2030. Um, there are a lot of people out there that are living with it far beyond um, when they were told that they would be living with it. There are, um, you know, I'm, I've changed my diet. I'm on 40 supplements a day and all the medications that are, that are accepted by the FDA to uh, combat ALS. And I'm just hoping for uh, a continued slow progression because I am capable of uh, speaking about it freely and, and easily right now. I'd like to be able to continue to do that for as long as I can. Bucket list wise, you know, I people tell you to make your bucket list and go do it when you get this diagnosis. And um, I have found that uh, most of my bucket list is uh, my day-to-day life. So I'm very blessed. And my, my girls came with us to Fenway, um, all the, the kids and my wife. And um, I'd like for them to come to more shows. Uh, I'd like to, uh, we, we've, we've had a wonderful summer. We've spent a lot of time together. And right now they just, they, they don't, know the intensity of of what the future may hold but neither do i so uh, every every als case case is different and um and we're just hoping for the best and preparing for the worst well as tough as that is to hear this has been a fantastic conversation hop and i can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk with me on the broadcast and i do hope that everybody listening will jump on board with uh, Hop on the Cure. So thank you so much for being here today. And thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you, Sid. Good to see you. Good to see you. All right, it is time for the bourbon break. And since we've just had that great conversation with Hop, 
Let's keep things musical for the bourbon break. And while it might seem a natural connection to turn the bourbon break over to something a little more hop-infused like a beer for this break, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I want to take a taste or three of Blackened, that musical bourbon inspired by that iconic metal band Metallica. And yeah, I love Metallica. So I've been dying to try their bourbon because let's face it, there is nothing more American than heavy rock and a good bourbon. Now, I'll be pouring from a bottle from batch 117 today, so my review will be tendered with that batch in mind. Now, I love the story of Blackened. It's distilled by Sweet Amber Distilling Company and is a collaboration between Metallica and master distiller and blender Dave Pickerell. He's the guy who distilled and came up with the ideas for Whistlepig. Now, sadly, we lost him in 2018. However, after Pickerell's passing, master distiller Rob Dietrich took up the helm with Blackened. Of course, Metallica is the global sensation heavy metal band that really has altered the music world. Formed in 1981 in L.A. by drummer Lars Ulrich and vocalist and guitarist James Hetfield, then adding lead guitarist Kirk Hammett and bassist Rob Trujillo, Metallica has been on top of the rock world for more than three decades. They have been honored with nine Grammys and 23 nominations and over 125 million albums sold worldwide. And of course, it makes sense that Metallica would be involved in a whiskey because let's not forget that in 1998, Metallica released their album Garage Inc., which included a cover of that classic song, Whiskey in the Jar, which is a traditional Irish song, but it got popular when the Dubliners, you know, that 1960s Irish folk band, and then the Highwaymen recorded the song. But in 1973, that fantastic Irish rock band Thin Lizzy really popularized the song. And then in 2000, Metallica won a Grammy for their rendition. Hey, but let's not forget that Brian Adams recorded a version in 2019 and Pulp recorded one in 1995. And Smokey recorded one in 1989. But we're focusing on Metallica here today and their heavy driving whiskey in the jar. Now, here's what makes Blackened so unique. Pickerel selected and blended several bourbons in rye. He then took that blend and put it into black brandy casks for the final aging. And here's where it's get, it's really interesting. He then worked with Metallica to design a proprietary black sound subwoofer speaker system through which they blast the barrels with Metallica's music the heavy sound waves moving the whiskey in the barrels, just as one would rotate the barrels in a final aging stage. But these are sound blasted to give the bourbon in the barrel its final turns in aging, where a lot of the flavor is achieved. Now, some might say this is just a gimmick, and others might say that the heavy agitation of the bourbon and the casks doesn't actually affect the aging or the flavoring. But whether gimmick or whether ineffectual or not, the fact of the matter is that what comes out of those casks and is poured into those bottles is pretty damn good. Now, unfortunately, what we don't get with Blackened is the mash bill for each batch, the distillery location, the length of aging, or any other information that might be relevant to understanding this whiskey. And I know several whiskey pros out there who will write this whiskey off simply because they get agitated with distillers for not sharing information. And I get that. 
But holy crap, don't write off a good thing just because they won't show you the recipe. I mean, hell, most great barbecuers keep their recipes secret, but we don't get all bent out of shape about that. We just order more Q. Now, Blackened is a 90-proof bourbon, and it lists for about 45 bucks a bottle, which among other American blended whiskeys is reasonable and a worthy price point. I love the Blackened bottle. It's got a definitive look, and the label features a black waveform image of what I assume is some segment of a Metallica song. The sharp cut of the bottle, along with the black colors in the label, highlight the dark amber tones of the liquid inside. The bottle just screams a thumping metal visual. Printed on a black jersey, this label is a concert t-shirt. It's a darker color whiskey. In fact, to keep the metal theme, I'm going to say it looks like a dark copper or a smoky amber. But aside from the heavy, hard intonations implied by the label and the echo of Metallica's bass and guitar, Blackened is an incredibly smooth pour. Not smooth like jazz, but smooth like a leather biker's jacket. And what confuses me about Blackened is you'd think with the heavy metal affiliation that this would be a whiskey you'd want to get your fist around the neck of the bottle and just upend it, chugging it away as the bubbles gurgle back into the bottle. But it's not. It's smooth, not delicate, but a sturdy, sleek pour that's worth taking your time with. Now, the nose tells you this right away. It's sweet with a toasted dark brown sugar, oaky caramel vanilla scent that hints at a classic bourbon, but one that clearly has been blended with a rich rye. And even though it's only 90 proof, and I don't know why I anticipated a whiskey from Metallica to have been like a 666 proof whiskey that would burn your soul, but even though it's not a high proof whiskey, there's enough of a trace of alcohol burn in the nose that it, rem it reminds you that this is going to be a serious pour. The palate opens sweet and fruity, but those darker fruits like dark cherries, stewed apricots, dates, and apples. In fact, I'd have to say that in a lot of ways, Blackened opens like a classic well-aged traditional bourbon. And as the palate develops, that fruit is accompanied by leather. Not like chewing on cowhide leather, but the leather of that well-worn jacket, a comfort leather, like a big leather couch in front of a set of monster speakers pouring bass riffs and guitar licks through your chest. That is, somehow Blackened is simultaneously soft and deep. In fact, now that I think about it, back in September of 2019, Metallica played a concert with the San Francisco Orchestra in a kind of theater-in-the-round performance. And that's the kind of deep and soft that this leather taste reminds me of. You should listen to that concert through a good set of headphones while trying Blackened. Then you'll get it. Those kettle drums in For Whom the Bell Tolls are life-changing, and when the crowd starts singing along, chills, just chills. Now, curiously, the blackened wraps up with a unique saltiness, like the sea spray that's tinted with something plant-like, like maybe kelp or sargasso grass. I'll keep it nautical. But it's not as off-putting as it sounds. It's really nice and comforting. Of course, the reigning question about, about Blackened is whether or not the sonic sound blasting actually has any effect on the whiskey and the aging process. But whether it does or does not, what Pickerel and Metallica have created in this collaboration is an enjoyable, consistent, smooth whiskey. And given that these are unknown blends bottled by varying batching, that consistency is an impressive accomplishment. I know I'm going to be grabbing a few other bottles from other batches to see if that consistency maintains across batch numbers. So yeah, I am a fan of the Blackened. And those are my thoughts about the Blackened. 
Hey, but before we get back on the water, and as a final note, and my regular disclaimer, as always, please keep in mind that the Fishing Professor Bourbon Break reviews are not sponsored. The distillers have not sent me samples, nor do they influence my reviews at all, though I am always open to sponsorship, bribery, and extortion. The bourbons I review here are purchased out of pocket, and my reviews are based on the keen sense of bourbon know-how I have developed over many years in many of this country's finest watering holes, drinking establishments, dives, pubs, honky-tonks, and back-alley speakeasies. Hey, speaking of, since we're rocking here today, let me give a quick shout-out to the High Dive here in Gainesville, Florida, where they have a moderate menu of bourbons, but bring some great music acts to the small stage. Fun venue to have a few whiskeys and listen to some good tunes. So, here's to the women who love me terribly. May they soon improve. As always, if you have comments about this week's bourbon break, feel free to email me at sid at inventivefishing.com. And that's that. Let's get back to the cast. All right, it is time for this week's top 10. And let me tell you that this week's top 10 stinks. I mean, it really stinks. And that's because this week I'm counting down the fishing professor's top 10 scent attractors. I'm covering the scent attractors that you put on your lures or dip your lures like soft bodies into or soak your lures in. So the sprays, the goos, the liquids, the oils. And yes, these are a messy aspect of your fishing, but adding scent can often be a great way to add another layer of attractant to your lure beyond visual and auditory stimulation. Oh, but I'm not going to take up that urban legend, or I guess more accurately that maritime legend, that WD-40 is a great fish attractant when you spray it on your lures. The data is just not there, so I'm going to leave that one to you. So let's get to stinking. Okay, at number 10, I'm going to start unbranded with this list and simply say that my number 10 spot goes to Menhaden Oil. And I don't care whose Menhaden Oil it is. I'm just recommending Menhaden Oil, but in a specific context. Soaking your skirts for trolling for species like dolphin, wahoo, and tuna. This is unquestionably a messy process when it comes to rigging, but soak your rubber skirts in a jar of Menhaden Oil before rigging them over your strip baits, Ballyhoo, or Bonita for an added scent trail. Call it a pro tip if you want, but I know lots of anglers who don't soak their skirts. But I also know some who do, and every time I've fished with the ones that do, the bite just seems to be enhanced. Okay, at number nine, I'm going with Jack's Juice, which is really Menhaden oil, but in an aerosol can, making it easier for spraying trolling baits rather than just soaking them. So check out Jack's Juice. At number eight, I've got Atlas Mike's Lunker Lotion. Now, one of the things that I like about Atlas Mike's Lunker Lotion is the sheer diversity and scents available for saltwater anglers. Atlas Mike's Lunker Lotion comes in sardine, anchovy, shrimp, herring, crayfish, sturgeon, alewife, shad, squid, salmon, trout, and steelhead, menhaden, sand shrimp, kokani, halibut, tuna, krill, bloodworm, anise, anise and shrimp, and anise and herring, as well as freshwater scents. Wait, krill? What the hell are you trying to catch with krill scents? Moby Dick? Now, you may have noticed that I mentioned anise, which is a spice or a flavor that is identical to licorice. I first discovered anise as a scent attractor when I reviewed Logic Lures scented tandem lures, which are infused with anise. You can check out that review at inventifishing.com or on the Inventifishing YouTube channel. Now, prior to that, I had not heard of using anise as a fish attractor. 
but it certainly works. So I picked up a bottle of Anis Mike's Anis, excuse me, Atlas Mike's Anis scent and found it to be pretty damn good. And okay, I'm going to cheat here a bit and call in a life hack for my number seven position and tell you that as much as I learned that anise makes a great fish attractant, I figured why not just use anise extract when you can get the one that you can get in the spice section of any grocery store. And guess what? It works just fine. Just add a few drops to your lure, or I've even soaked my soft body lures in the anise extract to let them really cling to the scent. Be warned though, anise permeates. So whatever you store your lures in will smell like anise for a very long time. And that's okay if you like the licorice smell. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, cinco, seis. Hey, at number six, Thin Essence Liquid Fish Attractant, the Shredder Crab. Okay, I stumbled onto this one just in a tackle catalog somewhere, maybe Tackle Direct, but I'm not really sure. But a crab scent always gets my attention, particularly when fishing for redfish, black drum, and cobia, even though the Fen Essence label has a picture of a striper, which makes sense given a striper's voracious crab appetite, or it's crabitite, as I'm now going to officially call it. Then Essence blends oils and pheromones to create its attractant scent. This is a great scent, by the way, to drop a few drops into a plastic envelope. Your plastics come in, seal it back up, and let it sit for a day before using the lures. The plastics will soak up that scent and be ready to go. And again, I like the shredder crab here. And Fen Essence also comes in bunker, clam, and shrimp. But I've only used the shredder crab, so that's what's getting my nod at number six. Five, five, five goes to Liquid Mayhem Saltwater Series, which comes in squid, sardine, and anchovy. This is a great goo, and I love the packaging as it's more like toothpaste, a toothpaste tube that lets you easily squeeze the goo and control the amount you have coming out. It also clings really well to whatever you're scenting up. All the more reason not to brush your teeth with it, by the way. Liquid Mayhem, which reminds me of Electric Mayhem, one of the greatest bands of all times. I'm sure you all will agree. Liquid Mayhem contains natural baitfish enzymes infused with powerful amino acids and other bite stimulants that taste and smell natural. I will let you take the taste test to decide whether that's true or not, but I'm going to go with their press as accurate. Okay, at number four, I'm going to go with Fish Sticks Lure Enhancer Saltwater Series. And since I mentioned Liquid Mayhem's toothpaste tube delivery system, I have to point out that one of the great things about Fish Sticks Lure Enhancer is that this is a solid-based scent. It works like a stick of deodorant or a stick or some stick sunscreen. And dear God, do not confuse this with your deodorant like I did. Holy hell, I had cats following me for a week, and the date I had that night did not go well. Now, this stick approach is muy convenient and way less messy than goos or oils, even when the main ingredient is fish oil. It also tends to hold on to lures for a very long time, so you don't have to refresh as often as you do with some of the other scents I've mentioned. All right, coming in at number three, we've got a bang, B-A-N-G, Bass Assassin Bang Saltwater Formula Sense, that is. The folks at Bass Assassin and Saltwater Assassin have done an excellent job with this scent. And I got to say that if I were doing a top 10 on nicest people in the recreational fishing industry, Robin and Teresa Shiver of Bass Assassin would be basically be my top five. Now, one of the things that I like about the Bang Sense Bass Assassin sells is the option to get them in a spray bottle or an aerosol bottle. I also like their slow dispersion of the scent, letting it cling to the lure and slowly dissolve into the water. 
Okay, in the number two position, I have to go with Berkeley Gulp Alive Attractant, both the spray bottle application and the recharge version, which is designed to pour the scent into your Gulp Alive jars or envelopes, but works just as well pouring into containers of most other plastics and soft bodies I use as well. I've had solid luck with the crab, the herring, the shrimp, and the squid scents. And I've got a buddy who says when the going gets tough, tough go to gulp. And I have to agree, gulp is a great scent attractor. And that brings us to my number one fish scent. But before we take a big whiff of that number one, here's a quick recap. Number 10, Menhaden Oil. Number 9, Jack's Juice. Number 8, Atlas Mike's Lunker Lotion. At 7 was my life hack with anise extract. At number 6, Fen Essence Liquid Fish Attractant. And I've liked the Shredder Crab version. At 5, Liquid Mayhem Squid Scent Saltwater Series. At 4, Fish Sticks Lure Enhancer Saltwater Series. At 3, Bass Assassin Bang Saltwater Formula Scents. At number 2, Berkeley Gulp Alive Attractant. Which brings us to the number one fish attractor scent, and you've probably already sniffed this one out unless you whiffed. The number one scent for saltwater fishing goes to Procure Super Gel in all of its glorious stinky varieties with the piquant perfume palette of, are you ready for this? I'm not sure I am, but here we go. The perfumed palette of Procure Anchovy, anise crawfish, anise krill, anise plus, bait fish formula, butt juice, mainly for habit, not for date night, fellas, herring, inshore saltwater formula, kokanee special, krill gel, minnow, penfish, salmon egg, saltwater formula, sand shrimp, sardine, shad shrimp, shrimp krill, smelt squid, and that doesn't even begin to account for all of Procure's freshwater scents, too. So no question, Procure is my number one fish attractant scent. I usually have a couple of scent versions with me when I'm fishing. I am particularly fond of the pinfish, shrimp, and crab when fishing inshore, and I'm a sucker for the crab scent when fishing for black drum without a question. So that's my thoughts on my top 10 scent attractors for fishing, particularly saltwater fishing, I guess. And as always, if you'd like a Fishing Professor Top 10 about a particular fishing-related thing, just send me an email and I'll see about adding it to my list for future Top 10s. So that wraps up another Fishing Professor's Weekly Top 10. I hope you liked that one. And so like Will Smith and Bart Simpson say, smell you later. Well, we have sung it out today. But it's time to put the mic in the stand and the rod in the rack because this ends another set of the Fishing Professor Rodcast. Hey, I want to thank John Driscoll Hopkins of the Zach Brown Band for taking the time to talk fishing and music with us today. And I also urge all of the listening crew to check out his foundation, Hop on a Cure, and give what you can to support research for finding a cure for ALS. Of course, I hope you enjoyed the rockin' review of Blackened and that you find a big old leather couch, a good set of speakers, and give Blackened a pour while listening to some thumping Metallica music. I, for one, think that I'd like to age like Blackened, having my innards churned over time by Metallica's sonic sounds. I do hope, too, that my top ten scent additives smelled all right to you. Before I sign off today, I do have a message for our brothers and sisters out there behind the line. The captain is in the wheelhouse. I say again, the captain is in the wheelhouse. 
And that just about does it for this week's episode of the Fishing Professor Rodcast. Be sure to look for next week's episode, which will drop on Wednesday of next week. And I hope you share the glory and tell everyone else about the Fishing Professor Rodcast. And of course, if you have a comment or question about anything on this week's show or have recommendations for future Top 10s, Bourbon Breaks interviews, or information about specific fishing-related issues, please feel free to email me at sid at inventivefishing.com or leave a reply in any of the comment sections for any of the podcast platforms you use to listen to the Rodcast. Hey, be sure to follow Inventive Fishing on Twitter, Instagram, and friend us on Facebook at Inventive Fishing, and be sure to check out all the great video content over on the Inventive Fishing YouTube channel, which includes gear reviews, new product introductions, and all kinds of other fantastic fishing footage. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, this is Sid Dobrin, the fishing professor. Fish on. The Fishing Professor Show is copyrighted by Inventive Fishing, LLC. Any rebroadcast of the podcast without the consent from Inventive Fishing, LLC is strictly prohibited. Fish on!